All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, winning streak time, break up the Vols time, happy to get out of Lexington, Kentucky time. It's always really cold up there time. You know what? It's always warm when you win time. Whatever time of day it is, guys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Here on a Monday morning. Hope you all are having a good Monday morning out there. I know it's a little chilly out there, but it's that time of year. Get used to it. Uh, we got plenty to talk about on this podcast, and it's not just going to be me, guys. It's going to be all of us. The whole crew is here, except for the first two segments. It's just going to be uh, Patrick Brown and Ryan Callahan, because we will get to uh, somewhat worthless Grant Ramey here in just a little bit. He'll be there for the final segment to talk a little bit of Tennessee basketball and some football. But first, I got Ryan and Pat here. Fellas, what's up? What's up, Wes? Hey, Wes. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Uh, is it a good? Is it a good Monday morning where you are? Are you feeling good? You happy? Good weekend? Uh, you know, didn't you know we got a bunch of sleep as always? It was it was a good time. Yeah, yeah, we survived Lexington, and uh, and hey, you're you came away calling Grant somewhat worthless, so that's like a compliment coming from you. Well, hey, I mean, we didn't get a lot of sleep, and he 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 drove us back, so. Uh, he, yep. he, get, he gets points for me from that today. And we got we got a lot of Tennessee basketball to talk about here at the end of the segment, obviously. Tennessee's got a big game coming up tomorrow on Tuesday night against the Murray State Racers, who do not have jaw, but still uh, some pretty decent players on that team. Guys, to the point, first off, Tennessee football, 17 for the Vols, 13 for the Kentucky Wildcats for the 33rd time in 35 years. Uh, the the beer barrel belongs to the Tennessee Volunteers. I just act like it still exists because in my mind, it still should. Guys, that was a really, really interesting, interesting game. Uh, in the final two minutes, what ultimately happened is what almost always happens when Tennessee and Kentucky play each other. Tennessee finds a way to win. Kentucky finds a way to lose. Uh, but before that, Tennessee spent about 100 different ways trying to lose that game. At the end, a win is a win. Uh, so we're going to talk about some of this correction stuff here in a little bit because there's plenty of things this team needs to do better. But right now, are we all of the opinion here that a win's a win and nobody needs to complain too much? Yeah, I mean, this is – I think Jeremy Pruitt said it best. He said they tried their hardest to make it hard on themselves. I mean, if you take away a lot of the mistakes that Tennessee made in this game, it's probably not a close game. But uh, I think it says a lot about where this program has come. I mean, this is – uh, Saturday night was the kind of game that in the past Tennessee would have found a way to lose and then at, and then actually lost it. And then, uh, but this time they, they rise up at the end. They, they get a, a defensive stand at the goal line there. Uh, you got two shots from the one, get two stops, uh, and Tennessee makes one more play, gets out of there, finds a way to kind of grind out a win. And, and I think I've said it on you know previous podcasts that uh, it's going to have to be sort of a grinded out kind of team. They're going to have to, uh, they're going to have to kind of win ugly and just find ways to win. And uh, certainly they dug deep six game in as many weeks. Uh, they get a play late from Jaquain Blakely, who's not a guy that's made a lot of plays this year, but he's in the right spot at the right time. Uh, a lot of the veterans on this team continue to kind of lead the way and make the plays that, that Tennessee needs. And uh, it's, it's a, a lot of those guys are the reason that Tennessee's won four or five, but yeah, they, they, you know, it's something to be said for, just finding ways to win when you're not at your best. And uh, Tennessee was able to do that on Saturday night. 
Yeah, and they're and they're finding different ways to win. You know, two weeks ago against South Carolina, it's it's you know capitalizing on some special teams plays and uh, winning that way despite not having a dominating effort. They win by twenty because they they make a couple plays on special teams. Against UAB, they force a bunch of turnovers. Against Kentucky, they just sort of uh, they they didn't even clamp down on defense. They just found a way to sort of shut out Kentucky and keep them out of the end zone the final three quarters despite allowing a good number of yards. You know, Kentucky rushed for 302 yards in this game, kind of continuing what it's what it's done recently with that unorthodox run-heavy offense uh, with Lynn Bowden at quarterback. And and Tennessee, you know, didn't stop them by any means, but they just found ways to make enough stops when they needed to. Uh, that they kept Kentucky from scoring after that early flurry of points and some things going wrong for them in the first quarter. So they did make plenty of mistakes. But, yeah, the the finding different ways to win clearly is a sign that this program is learning how to win, which is obviously one of the first steps you have to have to reach in rebuilding a program. We saw it. Uh, we saw it happen, you know, kind of year two into year three under under Butch Jones. And we're seeing it now already happening in year two for for Jeremy Pruitt's staff, uh, getting it getting it turned in that direction. So it's a good sign to to get that done and and find ways to win four of the last five games and win some games in SEC play. This team's got a lot of confidence now, and I think it showed in a situation like the end of the game where they make the goal line stand. And I think it showed in how Jeremy Pruitt reacted after the game, saying he would have been disappointed if they hadn't made the stop uh, with the game on the line. Said, hey, we've, we've got more guys than, than they can block. We should make the play. And I think it shows the confidence he now has in his defense, and it shows the confidence Tennessee has that, uh, even with all the time they spent on the field, 41 minutes plus for the game, even with all the yards Kentucky rolled up, that at the end of the day, third and goal at the one, they thought they were going to make the stop, and fourth and goal at the two, they thought they were going to make the stop, and they did, and they found a way to win. You know, I'm just going to say this really quickly. Uh, everyone everyone out there uh, in Tennessee football, Big Orange Nation, is so excited, and it took Ryan Callahan five minutes and five seconds to mention Butch Jones. I'm just going to throw that out I there. Just, I'm just throwing I'm just it out saying. there. I'm just throwing it out there. Just throwing it, it out there. A, it is a sign of a building program that you have to get to that point where you you find different ways to win. You expect to win in those situations, and this team's doing that now. It happened under previous staffs too, but the fact that it's happening on on schedule or even ahead of schedule in some ways for Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt is, is a good sign. I'm just busting you in the kibbles and bits there, Ryan. It's all uh, right. Don't worry about well, it. Well, I, I, I know people get triggered by that name, but it, Here, it's here's, fair. Here, here's what is interesting to me. It gets down to that final play, and Tennessee has been on the field. Well, not, at that point, Tennessee had been on the field offensively for about 16, 17 minutes. Kentucky, Tennessee had been on the field defensively for more than 41 minutes. That's what it was at the time, and it ended up being about that much. But at that point, Tennessee had been on the field. That was the 71st play, at least, that Tennessee had been on the field defensively in that football game. And I'll say this too, you, you say that Kentucky does that stuff and it's, it's so simple, you know, how can you see that stuff? You know, all that stuff looks the same. It's not. Uh, what happened was Kentucky went to uh, spent some of, that, some of that time during the open date the week before that game, talked to some coaches at Nichols State, uh, which is a, a kind of a, a really good FCS program for years that's run this kind of stuff. They put in a lot of new stuff on that. So Tennessee saw a lot of stuff against Kentucky that Kentucky had not done in other games. So that first drive, you very clearly saw that that Tennessee uh, had some some discipline issues with some offside penalties and all that stuff but also just did not make some plays in third and short situations and because Kentucky had some wrinkles that Tennessee was not expecting and so Tennessee had to adjust to that and once that happened uh, Kentucky's only points of the day uh, came on a came on a short field after a special teams blunder by Tennessee so they did get some things tightened up there but what really impressed me was that that fourth down play 
I went back and watched it a few times, trying to make sure I understood what was happening there. And there were so many guys on Tennessee. Jeremy Pruitt said it really well that they had that play called correctly. Uh, they had they just had to execute it. But I'm telling you, when you're that tired, when you've been on the field that long, it, it it it's not that easy to just go out there and execute. And there were so many guys from Tennessee who did exactly what they were supposed to do. Nigel Warrior kind of runs by Lynn Bowden to make sure he gets the pitch man. And if he doesn't get the pitch man, then if, if he just does what he used to do early in his career and just goes after the ball, then Bowden just flicks that ball out to the back, and that's Kentucky's in the league, just point blank. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, and then after that, you had Jaquane Blakely uh, getting off of a block uh, from a Knoxville native there up front for Kentucky there, big number 70. Uh, he got around that block pretty quickly and got exactly where he was supposed to be, and he got to the ball at the same exact time that Daniel Batuli got there, and Batuli had to cover a bunch of ground to go get there. And if either one of them is kind of in space one-on-one with Bowden, I don't know that for sure that tackle gets made. Bowden's a really good athlete, and if both those guys don't converge at the same time right there, you never know. Bowden's really kind of surprisingly powerful. He's really quick. Uh, He's one of the best players on the field every week. He might make a a, a play there and make you miss, or he might just kind of drag you into the end zone because he moved the pile quite a bit that night. And then behind that, you had Henry Toto, who comes from the other inside linebacker spot, and he is right there behind Batuli. So where just in case, maybe, maybe Bowden finds a way to elude both of those guys, then then Hank T is right there to clean it up at the goal line, and he may not get it anyway. Tennessee, the the discipline on that play was just perfect. And it was so interesting to me because that discipline had not been there almost all night. And then right when it has to be, right there at the goal line, right there when the game's on the line, they make the play to win. And it's like, who are these guys? You know, this and is, it was after yeah. after Tennessee made a big mistake there, too, giving a, another penalty that put Kentucky a yard closer. I mean, it looked like Tennessee was doing everything it could to make it easier for Kentucky. And then they just bowed their necks and made the play. Pat, do you have any thoughts? No, I don't. You don't. You didn't think you saw it was just 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 regular standard standard practice. You no. know, make the play. No, I don't. No, I was uh, I was imitating the uh, Barry Gibb talk show on SNL when they asked Justin Timberlake if he has any thoughts, and Robin's like, no, no, I don't. Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's it's it, you know, for and, and what impressed me the most is this is you know guys like Daniel Batuli, Nigel Ward, those guys are playing, you know, seventy snaps in this game, and, and this is their sixth game in as many weeks. This team's beat up. They're on the field for forty two minutes. Um, and, and like I said, it didn't get off to a great start. They were a little bit, um, uh, a little bit on, on edge early on. I think in the game, they gave up a lot of yards on the ground, but, um, you know, they, they found ways to make plays not only in, in that last moment, but also on a couple other fourth downs as well to get off the field. And that's, you know, yeah, it's a one dimensional offense, but you got a really good athlete running it. You're going to have to stop four downs. Um, and if you know, the key for Tennessee's defense all Saturday night was trying to get Kentucky off schedule, they had to get negative plays. They had to get, uh, you know, tackles for loss gains for one or two yards to get it second and eight, third and eight, third and seven, where, uh, Kentucky had to throw the ball. And there's still a couple of times where Kentucky had those passing downs and either they scrambled for the first down or, uh, or had a running play and Tennessee, you know, got one for one on the outside and, and, you know, got themselves in bad positions and didn't make those plays. But, um, you know, they come up big there. And and I do think as much as everyone's talking about the fourth and goal play, I think the third down play might have been even more impressive because yeah. mm-hmm. uh, freshman Henry Toto went in there and he did not look like a freshman on that play. I mean, he right in the hole, 
uh, Christian Rodriguez for for Kentucky. I think he's pretty pretty big back, uh, 220 something pounds. Yeah, he's Tennessee yeah, Tennessee had no answer for him. He was really good. And, uh, yeah, and so, you know, play in the hole and, and toe doesn't give up an inch. I mean, that that's a huge play right there. Um, actually, it was a tackle for loss. So uh, that that was uh, a really nice play um, for him on that third down play, that corner that kind of set up that, you know, the fourth down play. And, and, uh, and, and yeah, so it came down to those two plays, and Tennessee rose to the occasion and made them uh, when they had to. Yeah, and I think that the there's a lot of a lot of guys, and we've mentioned this a little bit before, but there are a lot of guys on this team. You know, I think there are some upperclassmen, the the guys we've kind of always known all along that they're winners. You know, your Jawan Jennings, your Trey Smiths, but in general, and Marquez Callaway to a certain extent too. He's always been a kind of a big time player, but there's been a lot of upperclassmen on this team who have just kind of risen to the occasion late in this season. You know, the the guys who – I don't want to say we'd given up on them or anyone had given up on them, but uh, I, I think it's worth mentioning that these were guys who just had not been winners in their careers. I'm not going to call them losers, but they hadn't won games. They hadn't consistently played football at a high enough level and put it together long enough to win games. And these guys are out there making plays. It, 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 to me, it, it's that is such a story with this team because – with this coaching staff, it would be so easy for these guys in some cases to say, you know what, screw it, just going to play the younger guys, going to take some lumps. You know, it's going to be a big year in year three. You know, there's going to be a lot of pressure going on. You're going to have to win in year three. Let's just go ahead and get these guys ready for then. They've not done that. They've stuck with some of these veterans, and this team is not going to win games without them. They're just not. I mean, with the level some of these guys are playing at right now, uh, and I think the the one obvious one we'll have to talk about in a second is the quarterback. But before we before we do that, you know, just just look at the way Nigel Warriors playing the game right now. Uh, another interception. That's his fourth in the past eight games, and really was kind of unlucky that he drifted out of bounds and didn't get a touchdown. But but if he doesn't pick the, pick off that pass right there, Kentucky's kind of going on the march a little bit and has a chance to to go up by you know two or three scores. And, and but that happens at such a big point in the game that it, it sort of gives Tennessee a little boost. And then you know Daniel Batuli out there playing like a like a just a, a manimal pretty much every week at this point. Nineteen tackles, uh, so he's again the team's leader in tackles despite missing two games. Which I don't care if you're playing middle linebacker where you're going to get tackles. That's impressive. Uh, that was a middle linebacker's game, and he rose to the uh, the challenge, and and he was just a a, a total beast in that game. Uh, and, and you had some other guys out there. You know your Latrell Bumpuses. You know Matthew Butler who had one really really dumb play. Um, but also made some big plays. Uh, you had Kevon Bennett, who had one dumb offsides penalty, but goes out there and has some big plays. Sean Schamberger, a, a guy who, um, you know, had, had a he didn't get lined up correctly one time, kind of cost him a little bit there. Um, but he went out there and made some big plays. Some of these guys are out here doing these things, and they're just – it's impressive to me because there's value in not quitting – and these guys, uh, I don't want to just give them, a, I don't want to build statues for them or anything, but, I mean, these guys have kind of, they're starting to rewrite the, the, the chapters or rewrite the stories of their careers a little bit, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. guys that you thought were, oh, sorry, Patrick, go ahead. No, it's, a, it's okay, you can go ahead, Ryan. No, I'm going to talk now. Uh, I, and, and I'd add to that list Josh Palmer <laughs> and Marquez Calloway. Yeah. Uh, you know, Palmer finally gets in the end zone. Great play on, on to get a toe down. I know, catch. Wes, you talked to him and, uh, he said he didn't know if he got his foot down or not, but yeah, he said he had was no idea. Just, was, he was kind of just playing like how your coach, you're just trying to get your foot down in his back uh, as far back as you can and hope for the best. And 
Kentucky had no answer for Callaway. They were throwing jump balls to him. I think they probably could have thrown more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the play he made on the second uh, second play of the third quarter, uh, I don't know how he made that catch. That guy was in really good coverage, and, and Callaway just, just made the play. And uh, same thing on, on the touchdown, too. I mean, these veteran players, I, I know a lot of attention has been given to uh, some, you know, a lot of the young talent that Tennessee has and, and good reason for it. Some of these guys are really good. Uh, Toa Toa Crouch, I thought, had a good game. Um, you know, Juan A. Morris, I thought, was better uh, after his, you know, nightmare against UAB. You know, Darnell Wright was playing decent before he got hurt. Uh, even a young guy like Karon Calvert, who's not a, a guy that this staff recruited, but I think they probably developed him the most. You know, he, he started and went the whole way pretty much at right tackle and, and did a decent job. Um yeah, a lot of these veterans are kind of bridging the gap, uh, and I think they're as as responsible for uh, for this turnaround as anybody. And you have to credit those guys too, because uh, Wes, you, you you kind of said it would have been easy for the staff at one and four to say let's you know let's start the youth movement, let's focus on the future and play a lot of these young guys. Um, but that's not what happened, and 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 these seniors and a lot of these veterans have stayed bought in and and have stuck with the plan. That this coaching staff had, <clears throat> that this coaching staff had, and it's paid off, and they're starting to sort of reap the rewards, and uh, and it's not something that they changed in the mid, you know, middle of the season. I mean, this team has always worked hard. Pruitt has always said that about this group. Uh, it's sort of a blue collar group, and a lot of those uh, older players, the guys that we've talked about, are blue collar players that work hard, do things the right way. They care about winning. They care about this university, and um, and it's like Pruitt said, it's 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 good for him, and it's good for everybody in this program, and and, and for the fans as well to see some of these guys that. Uh, have invested a lot, have stuck it out through some bad times, uh, sort of be rewarded for for all the uh, effort and energy they put into this program. Yeah, and, and that the amazing thing is, you know, we're, we're we almost make it sound like this team has really just come leaps and bounds that they're just that much better, and in some ways they're still not, and that's what makes it more impressive Correct. to me because the, they're not putting up flashy numbers at all. They didn't have 300 yards of total offense in this game. Uh, they're just sort of maximizing their opportunities in a lot of cases. You know, the special teams touchdowns against South Carolina in this game, it was sort of just getting hot to start the second half offensively with the, with the quarterback change, which we'll get to in a second. But, you know, that kind of gave Tennessee a jolt of energy on offense for, for a couple of drives there to start the second half. And they just, they scored touchdowns. They finished those drives. And because they did, they were able to win the game. If they don't finish those drives, who knows how it happens. So they're just sort of maximizing their opportunities making little plays here and there, you know, they're still not even running the ball that well. They had 83 rushing yards, I believe in this game, yep. averaging about four yards a carry, nothing flashy at all about it on defense. You know, it, it wasn't a bunch of turnovers or a bunch of sacks that, that led to anything. They just sort of kept, kept hacking away at it and found a way to stop Kentucky when they needed to at the goal line there and, and, and forced three turnovers on downs on, on Kentucky's final three possessions. That, um, you know, the, the final one will get the most attention, but Kentucky crossed midfield on each of its last three possessions and Tennessee turned them over on downs each time uh, to, to take, you know, keep control of the game down the stretch. So uh, it's just little things so that it's still a team with very slim margin for error, but they're just finding a way to get it done despite still not, not having world beating talent. And that, that's, that to me is the mark of a, a winning program being built because they're, they're sort of maximizing their potential. They're winning games when they're not clearly better than, than the team they're facing in some cases. Uh, I think they were, they were clearly better than Mississippi state and South Carolina, but this is a sign when you can win a game like this, this is a sign that you're really getting somewhere because you found a way to win a game when I don't think you were clearly head and shoulders better 
than the opposition. And they lost one of those earlier this year or a couple of them probably in, in Georgia State and BYU. And now they've won one of those games against Kentucky. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to change up the schedule a little bit. We're going to take a break here in just a second. We're going to come back and talk about the quarterback play because that's just kind of its own storyline. And we're already kind of up against it for, for getting our first commercial break in here. But I want to mention three quick stats before we do that. Three totally, absolutely insane stats from that game. Uh, first off, Tennessee in the final 21 minutes and 18 seconds of that football game uh, completed zero passes. It did not complete a pass in the final 21 plus minutes of that game. It attempted one pass, uh, one pass in the fourth quarter. One, one. Also, Tennessee on the field defensively in that fourth quarter. Tennessee was on the field for darn near 13 minutes. 12 they were on the field for 12 minutes and 46 seconds in the fourth quarter and allowed zero points. I mean, th- that these are kinds of things that they don't make sense. Nothing about that is logical. Tennessee went out there and basically played offense for about one and a half quarters in that game. That's pretty much it. That, that's the only time they were putting anything successful together on offense. And the one time they were doing it, uh, early on, uh, Trey Smith, one of the smartest kids on the team, again has another dumb penalty going in there late and, and getting a late hit in there. Just a lot of things that, that don't seem to add up to winning football, uh, but Tennessee found a way to win. And, and one of the reasons Tennessee found a way to win is the guy we're going to talk about right after uh, we get back from paying some bills. We're going to go uh, listen to uh, some, some ads, going to listen to some products and services and in-house ads. And we're going to come back in just a little bit here, probably about 30 seconds, so we're going to talk a little bit about Jarrett Garantano. Hashtag ad. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Govals 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads and all those good things that you may or may not heard a second ago. You may be one of those people who hits fast forward through the commercials, and that is your right. As a citizen of the free world, that is your right. Uh, but if you want to listen to those ads, uh, we appreciate that. Guys, uh, Tennessee in that football game, again, again, does not start Jarrett Garantano at quarterback, uh, who still, by the way, less than two weeks ago, had surgery to correct a broken hand. So he's a quarterback playing with one hand. Uh, he doesn't start the game, goes into halftime, has no clue that he's going to be put in the game, and, and he's just shocked as anyone when uh, basically his head coach, Jeremy Pruitt, looks up to him and goes, hey, by the way, you're getting the ball in the third quarter. Go get him. And he goes, oh, okay, well, let's go. Uh, He completes his first seven passes. So he starts seven of seven for 115 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, His one incompletion comes on the first play of the fourth quarter. Probably should have hit that pass to Dominic Wood Anderson, but just kind of didn't work out. It's been that kind of season for Wood Anderson. Uh, But Garantano did that, and he also rushed for 30 yards on six carries and twice 
twice in the fourth quarter had absolutely huge third down scrambles that moved the chains, including uh, on what was totally just a busted play. Kentucky did a great job defensively uh, on a third and short play there. You know, Tennessee kind of tried to surprise them with a little play action pass there out of a jumbo set. Kentucky had both options covered. Uh, so Garantano just kind of meanders around there and scrambles and gets to the gets to the sticks, gets 10 yards, and that's that's the ball game. Guys, Jerry Garantano has had an incredibly erratic career. He's had an up-and-down season. Um, but my goodness, this kid is tough, isn't he? I mean, just my goodness, how tough is this kid? Well, I don't think anybody's ever questioned that. It's <clears throat> it's the, the playmaking and the, and the ability to uh, win games. A lot of people always point to his – uh, his win-loss record, which ironically hasn't improved despite all these games he's helped Tennessee win Correct. because he's not been the starter. Correct. Uh, <clears throat> so, uh, no, I mean, I, I, and it's funny you ask Pruitt, you ask players. I don't, Wes, you talked to Garantan. I don't know if he explained why, but, like, how is it that he's been so much more effective coming off the bench as opposed to starting games? It's really odd. He has no um, idea. He's I, I, don't think, I don't think anybody has any clue why that's the case, but um it's worked for him it's worked for tennessee um like you uh, i don't think to, i don't think Tennessee planned to <clears throat> to play him last night but then they decided uh they saw some stuff from from brian mauer that they didn't like and um i don't, I don't think mauer played terribly i think he had some uh some misthrows i think he had some misreads uh, definitely some misreads through some through some rpos when he should have handed the ball off uh <clears throat> didn't see the field very well is kind of how pruitt said so said it so um you know they made decided to make the change and boom they scored two touchdowns right out of the uh, uh right out of the gate in the third quarter so um and, and sort of getting garantano back there sort of stabilized things and let tennessee uh exploit the advantage it had uh with with its wide receivers so um i, I just I, I know people still are you know garantano still has his detractors uh probably a little bit numbers probably declined in the recent weeks, but there's still people out there that won't give him any credit, which is ridiculous to me. I mean, uh, in this day and age, it would have been so easy for him after losing his job to just cut bait and bail and say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to transfer and play my last year somewhere else, or I'm going to do whatever, uh, not put himself through the, you know, the subject, the, you know, subjecting himself to uh, eight or however many games left of, uh, of taking a beating behind, uh, you know, from SEC defenses and whatnot. And he's stuck it out. I mean, um, and, and has sort of, I don't want to say turned around his career because uh, the past still matters and the past still happened. But, um, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, it's like Jeremy Pruitt said after the Georgia game, he's going to help us win games down the stretch, and Pruitt and, and Garantano has done that, and I think you have to give credit for, to Pruitt and uh, the coaches for continuing to believe in him and telling him that they believed in him. Uh, and you have to give Garantano credit for sticking it out and uh, and trying to make the best of, uh, what's not been a fun situation for him for most of the year. And uh, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say they don't win that game without him on Saturday night. Oh, no, no question. I mean, I, I think he was pretty clearly the player of the game for Tennessee, you know, not, no disrespect there to, to Daniel Batuli, who had a just tremendous game uh, on, on defense with 19 tackles covering so much ground as we discussed earlier, but Garantano. Yeah. I mean, it, Tennessee's offense was, was sort of, scuffling in the first half they, they managed one field goal as you said west they had a nice drive there the setback by a penalty uh they just they just weren't ever really in a rhythm and kentucky's defense isn't isn't great but it's not bad and, and one of the things that they had been good at all year or pretty good for most of the year is is stopping the pass 
Uh, and that made it even more impressive to me what Garantano came in and did. He, he didn't come in and just rip apart for a couple drives there, a secondary that was giving up 250 to 300 yards a game. This is a team that's that's held a lot of teams to around 150, 160 passing yards. And, and contained and and contain Jawan Jennings, too. And Jawan Jennings didn't have a monster game either. They contained him pretty well. Yeah. And so he... I almost wonder, because this was a little different from some of his other games where he came off the bench, you know, he, he set out a drive or two to start uh, start a couple games there and, and and then came in and took over. You know, this this felt a little different because he, he sat out for a half. You know, it sounded like from from listening to the TV crew a little bit on the on the replay of the game, they they did mention at the beginning that they, they thought they would see Garantano at some point. So I wonder if there was still if not a plan, at least an intent to work him into the game. And then at halftime, Jeremy Pruitt obviously just decided, you know what, we need to switch to Garantano and see how it goes. Um, but I wonder if just sitting out for a half sort of allowed him to sort of see things from a different perspective and, and, and allowed him to you know see what Kentucky was doing and maybe kind of mentally come up with a, a way of attacking Kentucky because I, it, it seems different that he was able to sit out for a half, come in, and just be hot right off the bat. So maybe it's just one of those things where he just – just was was feeling it at that particular time and made some great throws and and was just in the rhythm of the game immediately but he was very decisive with when he ran the ball he was he was very effective at it and and just made some great throws so I, I I give him a ton of credit you know again a lot's been said about his his resiliency over the past few weeks since that Alabama game you know we thought we would never hear from him again as media uh, after that whole ordeal we thought the rest of his time at Tennessee would be just sort of awkward and he's handled it about as gracefully as you possibly could have. So has Jeremy Pruitt, for that matter. I think both parties have handled it great. His teammates have handled him great. And he's bounced back from it and had some some pretty impressive performances. And I think Saturday's goes to the top of the list with how he played. And you know, many throws, but just the ones he did make were really good. And they helped Tennessee win a big game. Yeah, his t- his entire time of possession – uh, for which the, the clock w- was running and he was actually on the field in that game was nine minutes and 49 seconds. Uh, and it seemed like he was able to squeeze quite a bit into that nine minutes and 49 seconds. They had that really quick touchdown drive in the third quarter. Uh, the, the next touchdown drive was fairly quick in the third quarter. Uh, and I, t- I talked to him after the game, and, and, and he did say some interesting things. I mean, he said the normal things that you expect him to say, that everyone's got faith in him and that matters a lot to him, and that's a big part of it. And, and that all matters. It's very important. Uh, but what I heard him say a little differently after the game on Saturday was just how much early in the season some of these things that teams were doing to him surprised him. He basically said that that he, he was having a couple – like he thought there were some things in Jim Chaney's offense that he understood – and early in the season, it, it dawned on him that he maybe didn't have it quite as much as, as he thought he did. And then on top of that, defenses were throwing things to him that he wasn't expecting. And it felt like he had kind of scripted out this whole season in his mind before it started. And it kind of got thrown off kilter at the beginning, and that really shocked him. And he admitted that. He said that, you know, he get, he said it was pretty much the lowest moment of my life was early this season. He goes, I've done a lot of dumb things. I've put a lot of this on myself, and and I have to live with that. But the only thing you can do is is kind of fight through it and kind of keep showing up to work and keep getting better. And that, that that's what he's done. It's been a pretty remarkable story. And I think, Pat, you made a really good point there that's a good transition point, which is that it does not erase the past. Uh, it doesn't. And, and there are still some things that – that, that kind of need to to get cleaned up. You know, a couple times I think he got – I think his, his clock was off in the pocket once and he took a big hit there on his hand and 
that was kind of smarting him for the rest of the night. Uh, and he fought through that. But that was just one of the, the very few mistakes that he made, uh, maybe maybe two mistakes, that one, and then the throw to Wood Anderson probably should have been a little bit better. Um, but other than that, he played a pretty clean game. Uh, the guys around him just did not. Tennessee had a lot of plays in that game that, that, that honestly probably should have been game-losing plays. Uh, Ty Chandler's fumble with absolutely no one around him uh, is just something that can't happen. Uh, that, that penalty that Trey Smith had is something that cannot happen. Paxton Brooks dropping a perfect snap on a punt that turns into a block punt and a short field touchdown cannot happen. Uh, having 12 guys on the field on defense because you don't understand a substitution coming out of the timeout, that can't happen. There were so many. The, the, the late hit there on, um, on Matthew Butler on a third and long play against a team that has a quarterback who really can't throw that well, and, and you put them back on the field. That cannot happen. There were so many things in that game that just absolutely cannot happen. And, and this is one thing I was joking earlier about what Ryan said about you know bringing Butch into it. Um, but what's interesting is that I think after – if Tennessee had won that game under Butch Jones – you would have seen him coming out and just being like basically writing, uh, you know, Italian love sonnets about how beautiful <laughs> yes. that game was and how much it meant to all these guys. And Jeremy Pruitt goes out there and he spends approximately 10 words, 15 words saying here, uh, I'm really proud of the resiliency on this, on this team. These guys didn't quit and I'm really proud of them. Then he spent the next five and a half minutes. His opening statement was nearly six minutes long. And more than 750 words of it, he spent basically saying, I have no idea why the hell these guys did some of the dumb things they just did. And he talked about how they had penalties that can't happen. He talked about how they had the perfect defensive calls going into certain plays and that Kentucky still found a way uh, to beat one guy and, and, and get a first down. And he said that can't happen. He talked about dropping snaps and how that cannot happen. He talked about being offsides twice on the first possession of the game and how that can't happen. So he is very clear. To me, it's kind of like after the Mississippi State game when all these guys are jumping into the crowd and doing these things. And he's like, yeah, I'm happy for him, but you're not going to see him doing a Lambo leap. You know, that, that, that he's seen better football played. And I think in that game against Kentucky, he was proud of his guys for winning it. Uh, but he also, that's not going to be a really fun film study for them, is it? No, it's it's not. And, and you're right. It was, a, it was a sloppy game in a lot of ways. It's a game that uh, that a less mentally tough team would not have found a way to win uh, because they, they made enough mistakes. You know, again, I, I thought the way Kentucky was running the ball, if uh, I, once they, once they committed that penalty to set up third and goal with the one, I thought, I thought Kentucky was definitely going to punch it in from there. I thought, what are the odds? Kentucky doesn't get a yard on two runs. The way have you seen Kentucky it. in history? What What's that? Have you seen Kentucky throughout its history? Uh, I mean, that's fair. That's totally fair. I, I, I mean, he, but but Bowden was different. I thought Bowden was yeah. a guy who just could wiggle his way through an opening somewhere, find a way to get a yard. Or or Rodriguez, the way he was running, could find a way to get a yard on a pitch or whatever. And the fact that Tennessee found a way to to overcome all, all that and make the plays when it needed, I, I just I just think was a really big step for this team. But yeah, it it was not a, a pretty performance at all. Um, you know, Brian Maurer was not not very good in the first half. There's a reason they changed quarterbacks. I didn't think he was bad. But he just he wasn't making a lot happen. He didn't look quite the same. He looked a little to me, maybe a little hesitant to run at times. And you wonder if those, you know, those back to back head injuries he suffered last month uh, have have, you know, forced him to adjust a little bit in his approach. You know, just how often he runs or when he looks to run or, or to be a little more hesitant to run because he's got to take care of himself. And that you know, head injury or not, 
he's got to preserve himself if he's going to be a starting quarterback down the road. And, and I, the, the interesting thing to me about the way Garantano played, the way, the way the team responded to him in the second half, you know, you've got a nice thing going with Garantano coming off the bench. What do you do at quarterback going into these final two games? Do you start Garantano who's been your most effective quarterback the last few games? Or do you say we don't need to risk shaking things up? We like him coming off the bench. Let's start somebody else and have a plan to bring him in. It's an interesting dilemma that I, I can't remember seeing anything quite like this, but I think they have some decisions to make at quarterback because it's still sort of a mix and match situation that I, I don't know if you get the same results. If you start Garantano, it would be a tough, tough call to make because of how well he's done coming off the bench. Yeah. And I'm sure Jeremy Pruitt will be very forthcoming in what they're going to do. Uh, Absolutely. Quarterback moving forward, but for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think the two biggest mistakes in the game for, for me, and, and I do think, uh, and, and I do think if if Tennessee does beat Missouri, if they beat Vanderbilt, uh, and do get whenever they get their sixth win, should they get it, um, there'll, there'll be a lot of uh, I don't want to say celebrating, but the the narrative will be that you know this was an accomplishment for Tennessee to get to six and six, and and the reality is it is given the the way they started the season and how it could have gone. Uh, but Pruitt, like you said, Wes, he's he'll just be like, yeah, it's good, but you know. We still haven't played great, you know, that, you know, and he, he's even said before he even coached the game here that uh, there would be games that Tennessee would win where he would not be happy with how they played. And I think uh, last night's a prime example. And even uh, some of these other games during the stretch, they haven't played uh, a complete game. They haven't played their best football. That's what he keeps talking about, their best football. Their best football doesn't include fumbling a handoff when you're trying to run the clock out in the fourth quarter. Uh, your best football doesn't include dropping a punt, getting it blocked to give the other team a short field. Uh, it doesn't include all the penalties that they had from Trey Smith getting a, a roughing, pen, you know, unnecessary roughness to uh, an illegal substitution down there on the goal line to jumping off sides on third seven against a, a team that can't throw the ball. Uh, just so many unforced errors. And then even the small stuff that only coaches recognize where, uh, you know, the linebackers call out, they're supposed to be playing this style of defense and the defensive line doesn't play what the call is supposed to be. Little things like that, that uh, will drive him crazy. I mean, I'm sure, uh, and Wes, I think we were talking about it in the box. I think when uh, in the fourth quarter, Kentucky had like a third and ten, and they ran it and got it. And it's like, how did, like that's got to that'll just chew him up for nights in a row yeah. that that happened against his defense. That's mm-hmm. just kind of how he's wired. And and so I, I think that's good. And I think that's been part of uh, this stretch for Tennessee is uh, you know they beat Mississippi State, they beat South Carolina, they have people start telling them how good they are, they start feeling good about themselves, and then they get into the complex and Pruitt saying, no, this isn't good enough. I've seen. You know, uh, it's like he talked about with, um, you know, when he was disappointed with their practice the other night, he said, you know, anybody can go out and play great on one or two Saturdays a season. It's the team that stands up there at the end of the year, which is, what you know, he's been part of those teams a lot of times. And he knows that you have to sustain and you have to uh, do things a certain way every day uh, to make yourself play as, as well as you can and win games on Saturday. And he knows that Tennessee's not to that point yet. So uh, he's going to keep pushing them and pushing them until they get there now. Uh, I do think he deserves credit for kind of managing the team to where they uh, had enough gas in the tank to to make a you know make a stop and win this game and grind it out. Because, Good point. Uh, uh, this is a, you know last season they uh, they did run out of gas. Of course, this season now they've got uh, a well timed open date. But this open date, you're feeling a lot better about it because you won Saturday night. If you, uh, you there'd be an extra week of uh, kind of I don't want to say. Uh, gnashing of the teeth if they had lost to Kentucky and were four and six. Uh, now they've won, you know, it's their first three game win streak in three years. They have some, uh, the momentum is still going, the good feeling, the good vibes are still there. 
Um, and I'm sure I'm sure Missouri will get trucked by Florida this week, and that'll be a team going in the opposite direction, and that should be a game Tennessee feels like it can win. But uh, now they got a chance to get healthy and, and all that stuff. But uh, but yeah. Well, and 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 just to add to that, I mean, Jeremy Pruitt. I think we we get in the habit of hearing coaches sort of nitpick victories. I, I think Jeremy Pruitt's actually dead on. I don't think Tennessee's played that well, especially the last two weeks. And in a way, if we're being honest, I think Tennessee's sort of that they're the beneficiary. Now, to their credit, they've risen. They, they've raised their level of play, and they're finding ways to win games. But let's face it, they're also benefiting from what I think is about as soft of a bottom half of the SEC as you will ever see. I think 8 through 14, this league is not very good. There's a huge drop-off beyond the top five. And Tennessee, to their credit, is raised, has gone up, and, and they've, they've put themselves in that same tier with maybe the Texas A&Ms of this league by winning some of these games. But they're also feasting on some teams that just aren't very good. So they've still got to get better. They've still got to take bigger steps because if people assume, hey, that you know, even if they go on to win seven or eight games uh, with a bowl game down the stretch, people can, you know, might think, hey, they won seven or eight last year. They're going to win nine next year. I, I don't think it's going to be that simple because this team still has another level in it that it can play better, but they've got to find ways to learn how to play better because they are making a lot of mistakes still and just finding ways to overcome them. Yeah, I'd have to go back and think about this, but I think if you look at the performance relative to who they're playing and and, and what they could and couldn't couldn't have gotten out of it, I think you could make an argument that they played better against Alabama and Georgia uh, than yep. they have these past couple of weeks. And and I think you you might be saying, what the what the heck are you talking about? But uh, when I look at the way they're pushing the pile against Alabama, uh, when I look, and again, this isn't a vintage Alabama defense, but but still, some of the ways they were able to execute uh, against Georgia and Alabama. Uh, to me, were at a much higher level than how they've executed the past couple weeks. Now, maybe that's – you don't get us up for these games. and I, For some reason, I, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's it's cold. Maybe it's the, the, the fact that they're not as fresh now. I, I don't know. Um, but there's a lot of things they need to get better. And I think what's going to be really important is to this point, th- this Tennessee team, you know, we saw this during the, the Derek Dooley era where – you know, it felt like at times you were thinking maybe Dooley was kind of being too negative, right? You, know, you, you kind of thought, man, he's just killing these guys. Like they, you know, the, they're not the they're not the '85 Bears out here. Give them a break. Uh, and, and then there were times during Butch Jones' career where you're like, he's talking about this team like they are the '85 Bears, and you're like, what, what are you talking about? I think Pruitt kind of finds a nice balance in there, and I think the guys appreciate that because uh, he has a pretty pretty open door policy in that program. When you step foot in that building, uh, you are expected uh, to be honest and you are expected to appreciate when people are honest with you. People are going to say what they think, whether it's a coach, whether it's a player, and they're going to have very frank discussions all the time. And I think players really do appreciate that. I, I, I think that's something that, that they that they generally feel pretty good about. I think they, they, they kind of they, they, they feel like he's, he's right kind of in there with the foxhole with them a little bit because when they do something right, he'll tell them. When they mess something up, he will tear into them. And there's been a really good maturity level w- with the leaders on this team, you know, your Juwan Jennings and, you know, your Batulis and your Trey Smiths, uh, of guys who sort of, your Nigel Warriors, who accept that level of coaching. And I think that's kind of helped this team kind of bridge this gap a little bit because I, I think that they understand – pretty clearly hey he's not killing us we're, we're, we're out here he's right look at the way we're playing and, and so I think it's kind of it's really hard to kind of find that perfect line in there but I, I think and I don't know that he's done it every time but I think he and his staff do deserve credit for for kind of being real with these guys and and kind of keeping them on a level because it's hard to they, get get up or two down you know what I mean it's just kind of, it's a hard thing to manage 
Yeah, and, and so for the guys who played under, under Butch Jones' staff, we talked about this at the time of the coaching change. I just think there's an authenticity, a, a genuineness to the way he deals with his players that, that makes Jeremy Pruitt come off. It, it, it makes him much easier to respond to, I think, for a lot of players, especially the ones who, who experience something a little bit different under Butch Jones. So I, I think that is a big part of it. Uh, they know he's telling the truth. Uh, if not all the time, almost all the time, they, they don't they don't question for a second what what he's telling them. So I, I think that's a huge deal, and that's why players have have continued to buy in even when things were tough at one and four. Uh, so that that's a huge credit to the staff that they've had that kind of relationship and level of trust with their players that that they've not got a second guess anything they've been told, and that um, when they continue to give them honest and somewhat harsh feedback, they respond to it because they know it's coming from a good place and that's it's the truth. Yeah, and it's like Daryl Taylor said after the game Saturday night, you know, what was the message at halftime? He said that Pruitt told him it was the worst half they'd ever played. And yeah. Taylor was like, yep, he's right. <laughs> I mean, that's just they, – they, they've been around him now for almost two years now. They kind of know uh, how he how he's wired, what his personality is, that he's going to you know be brutally honest and that he's going to have uh, and hold them to uh, a very high level of accountability. And, and I think Pruitt also – uh, I, th- I think he also says that, you know, publicly that, you know, hey, we got to coach guys better, things like that. I, I think players take note of that and players, uh, you know, they, they know when um, kind of a, a coaching staff is is taking part and in, in shouldering some of the credit and the blame, too. So uh, I, I think that's part of it. And, um, and and yeah, I think Tennessee will should continue to benefit from him just continuing to push them and demanding more and. Uh, and, and demanding them to play like he wants them to play. And, and, you know, they've done it in bits and spurts over these last couple of seasons. They've done it in bits and spurts uh, since the start of October when the team sort of, uh, I, don't, I don't know if they had a come to Jesus meeting or, or some sort of wake up call moment or whatever it was between the Florida game and, uh, and the Georgia game. But, uh, you know, they, they've had moments where they've played like he wants them to play. Um, and, and, you know, but at the end of the day, I don't know if, how much they play like he wants them to play against Kentucky. But, they, again, they found a way to, to grind that game out and get a win. Yeah, uh, one more random thought. I know we need to move on to other things. But the the way, circling back to Garantano a little bit, the way his fellow quarterbacks responded to him after the game. We've seen a lot of his teammates that have been with him for a few years. But for two young guys like J.T. Shrout and Brian Maurer to be that happy for Garantano after the game and sort of embrace him at, on the field – uh, that, that moment caught a lot of people by surprise, I think, a little bit. And I think just another testament to sort of the way Garantano clearly has handled things, that he has that much respect among his fellow position players, that, that there's often sort of an uncomfortable tension between fellow quarterbacks since only one guy can play. Those guys being that happy for him is another another thing that I think speaks to just sort of the chemistry this team has. And and, and, and maybe that's the coaching staff's to, to credit for that, but credit Garantano too and those players for – for having that kind of bond that they responded that way after the game. Yeah, before I ask you about recruiting, Ryan, I'm going to mention this one thing really quickly. It's talking about kind of proving that mentality. He had one answer uh, when he was talking about uh, sort of some of the defensive calls. He's also – he's really good at finding that line. And what I mean by that is he'll say – you know, he said there were a couple times where Tennessee was in the pitch-perfect call against a certain look Kentucky had, and they just didn't make the play. And he said, we couldn't have made a better call, so I don't know what went wrong there. And then after a brief second, he said, but you know what? If I'm the coach and I've put them in the right call and they don't execute it, guess what? I'm still the coach, and it's still my responsibility to get them to execute it. So it's still on me. So he kind of 
he, he's honest and brutally honest, but he pulls back a little bit when he says, you know what, I'm the coach and it's on me and he's not going to throw him under the bus. And, and I think there's a way to do that if you have kind of an open culture and you have an honest culture uh, with your players and with people in the building. And I think that stuff matters. I, I think that stuff translates to winning. And like you said about the quarterbacks, Ryan, that's a, to me, that said uh, one thing, culture, 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 uh, that when you, when you got a culture that, that's going on like that, you have a chance to, to do some things. Ron, before we step out of here, uh, Tennessee did have some recruiting, recruiting news on Sunday night. Maybe a little bit, uh, you know, y- you always kind of are on the radar for when these 2020 guys are going to commit, but but sometimes a 2021 pops up and you go, hey, huh, there's that. So talk, talk to us about this this guy, this kid who committed Sunday night. Yeah, and, and a guy that a rare Sunday visit uh, after a road game. You don't see that very often, but sort of the way his school schedule worked out uh, gave Nate Evans, the three-star athlete from Virginia Beach, Virginia, a chance to make it back down to Knoxville and uh, he sort of made the trip with the intention, I think, of of committing while he was there. He wanted to just tell the staff in person. He admitted he sort of had been leaning to, to, toward Tennessee for a while. And uh, he's he's an athlete, but he he's being recruited by pretty much everyone as a defensive back, around six foot one, one seventy five. So good build, great uh, size for a DB. Yep, says Tennessee likes his uh, his his ability to play press coverage uh, with that size and length. You you would think that that bodes well for his chances of of doing that uh, and, and has some, some interesting uh, bloodlines too uh, is the younger brother of a couple of other players will be playing or, or already are playing division one football. Uh, one of them, Keontae Jenkins is a four-star class of 2020 cornerback who's committed to TCU. Uh, the other is a guy Tennessee recruited a few years ago under Butch Jones, Levante Taylor, oh, yeah. who's now at Florida state. Um, so, so ten, uh, some interesting connections there that, that that you know this is another guy from the same family who's going to be playing uh, fbs football and, and at a pretty high level at tennessee so uh tennessee was all over him it sounds like despite the three-star rating you know i know people might say oh another another three-star but this is a guy that i mean he's first of all he's ranked just outside the top 500 nationally in 24 7 sports rankings so already pretty high and, and, and still way too early to, to assume anything about where he's going to end up but the way tennessee's been recruiting him I think it's safe to say Tennessee views him as a, a guy who's higher on their board than that. They, they've been talking to him every day already. He said uh, a guy in the 2021 class that's having that level of contact is pretty high on the board because it's, it's, it's the time in the recruiting process where you're more likely to talk to those guys every few days, once a week. If you're talking to a guy every day at this point, it's a, it's a pretty high priority guy. So I think Tennessee, they saw him at camp this summer, offered him while he was there. And, uh, and went after him pretty hard from that point forward, and, and now they've landed him. So a second cornerback uh, or likely cornerback in this 2021 class already among their four commitments. The other is Jay Jones from Demopolis, Alabama. So off to a good start in the secondary in that class. Four early commitments before you've even wrapped up the 2020 class is a, is a good sign for the, the progress of that class coming up. Uh, so a, a nice pickup for Tennessee and, and from the state of Virginia where they haven't had uh, just a ton of guys in the last couple of years that they've signed, uh, but still have maintained a presence there and, and doing a good job there to to get a guy like this early in the process. Plus, Brian Niedermeyer was on him, so you know automatically at this yep. point you go assume, hey, he's pretty good if they got Moose on him, right? So, yeah, yeah, guys, there's a ton to to, to discuss this week. Uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have another podcast, at least one more podcast later in the week, where we're gonna talk a little bit more about the the open date in particular, what Tennessee needs to do, kind of what what Tennessee needs to get accomplished during that open date. 
Uh, so we'll have plenty to discuss there. Uh, I know that, that there's not a game this week for football, but there will be plenty of football to discuss. Uh, there's also plenty of basketball to discuss. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break and going to go pay some bills, going to listen to some products and services and in-house ads and all those things. And, and we're going to come back and uh, speak with our resident quasi-moron, Grant Ramey, uh, about a little Tennessee basketball and football. Hashtag. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you may or may not have heard just a second ago. Uh, maybe you're one of those people who fast-forwards through the commercials, which is your right, uh, your God-given right as a f- citizen of the free world. But if you're actually one of those people who listens to the ads, we do appreciate that. That helps us a little bit. Uh, joined, as promised earlier, I promised you that we were going to get to our, our resident quasi-moron driver extraordinaire uh, Upper East Tennessee's finest, Kingsport's finest, Grant Ramey. Uh, sorry, John Fulkerson, but you're—I think you're still the probably the second most notable citizen from Kingsport, Tennessee. Uh, Grant, you were the. We're going to talk a little bit about Tennessee Murray State basketball here in a minute because that's a big game for both programs coming up here tomorrow night. But you were the only person on our staff. There were four of us up there in Lexington, uh, but you are the one who usually gets to sneak down there for the final five minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime uh, and get some kind of video, kind of get a sense for what's going on on the field. Uh, kind of walk me through the, those final couple minutes there because there there was a whole heck of a lot going on then. Yeah, what's funny is when when uh, I left the press box at Alabama, it was fourth and one at the goal line, and I was stepping into the elevator, and I heard the Alabama crowd cheer, and I just assumed Tennessee got stuffed on the goal line, turnover on downs, whatever. By the time I get down to the bottom, get out, step out of the elevator, I'm seeing a replay on a, a TV in the concourse of the guy going, I can't remember who it was, going back 100 and however far it was, 100 yards uh, for the touchdown. And I, and I got in the elevator Saturday night at Kentucky, uh, with about eight minutes left, and when I got out of the elevator at the bottom, I was walking through the concourse and saw a TV and noticed that Tennessee had just fumbled. So there's something about me getting in elevators and press boxes and Tennessee fumbling uh, that I got to uh, – Tennessee fans are probably ready to kill me if, I, yeah, if take, I keep doing that. Take the stairs, you lazy bum. Take the yeah, stairs. Yeah, seriously. But, I mean, I, I got down there, and uh, I, I went to that end zone where, where Kentucky was driving towards – uh, and it just felt like what, what Kentucky had done all night, the way they had given Tennessee fits with that, that offense, uh, kind of like a high school offense where you just put the best guy at quarterback and, and try to do what you can. Uh, it felt like it was inevitable that they were, were going to score at some point. I kept kind of looking at the clock, seeing what the timeout situation was, kind of trying to judge how much time Tennessee would have left. But uh, lo and behold, even even with 12 men on the field and kind of that kind of uh, that penalty happening right there, uh, on third down, Henry Toto steps up and makes a big play. On and then on fourth down, they they stretch the play out, and and Jaquan Blakely has one tackle all night, and it's a uh, it's a huge uh, game saving tackle. Him and Daniel Batuli on the goal line. So I don't know I don't know what it is about this Tennessee team the last five weeks, but uh, it's like nothing phases them. They can they can have bad starts to games, they can have bad moments in games, and they just kind of keep playing, and uh, they found ways to win. Yeah, remember when they were like like paper mache thin. 
and, and like anything that went wrong would just sort of derail them for the rest of the game. Do you, do you remember those days? It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's what I thought the day after South Carolina. I thought, oh, yeah, that, that game started with a 75-yard touchdown pass for South Carolina, and then not long after that, Tennessee went fourth and one uh, from the goal line and threw it out of the back of the end zone, and that looks like two huge momentum plays, and then there they are, Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky goes on that mammoth drive for the marathon first quarter, like 17 plays, 75 yards, takes 10 minutes off the clock. Yeah, they still have the ball, I think. That drive has right, not ended yet. right. That's how you. That's how you set a tone for a football game. Then Tennessee goes three and out. Uh, later on, Tennessee has a you know a mishandled punt, uh, gets blocked. They give it back to Kentucky on a short field. Uh, they score again, uh, and that's just kind. Of, that's how that game started. I mean, there there it couldn't have been much worse for Tennessee in terms of momentum and, and kind of letting Kentucky do what it wants to do with that offense. And I mean, Kentucky had the ball for forty one minutes. It's incredible. Time of possession was forty one minutes for Kentucky, 13, and they had over three hundred yards rushing. Thirteen minutes in the fourth quarter. Right, and Tennessee somehow won a game. Yeah, yeah. Tennessee's defense on the field for 13 minutes in the fourth quarter, and they come up with a goal line stand with the, with the game on the line. So, what they've been able to do, man, they're, they've got some good mojo going right now. Even even if it is a uh, an ugly kind of game to watch, uh, you find a way to win. That's good enough for them. Yeah, I know you were right there in the back of the end zone uh, during that fourth down stop. That's where you were, were, were kind of when they went through that that play. I could see by the the camera. Uh, shot that you gave us your uh, shot by iphone uh camera footage uh, of that moment and you know where, where that was there was a pretty good amount of tennessee fans uh there in uh it's always going to be commonwealth stadium to me field and it, it, it i've seen a lot more orange in there i mean i've seen games where it's almost been like half and half at times i mean it's 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 not been like vandy tennessee bad um but i've seen tennessee kind of take over that stadium and, and that was a good amount of tennessee fans but but certainly i've seen more so so it was definitely a hostile road environment uh, what was the sound like there cuz that's right next to where tennessee's band is that's right next to where tennessee's uh, main sort of i, I guess main main visiting student section or, or main visiting right. fan section is what was the noise kind of like that because there had to be just a lot of angry kentucky people tennessee people making some noise what what, what was that like yeah you you could hear a lot of uh, you could hear the tennessee fans just over uh, to my left to the to the right uh if you're you know kentucky's offense driving in uh, to tennessee's left defensively i mean they were making some noise uh there there were some people Kentucky fans behind us, you know, right behind the goalposts, kind of lower in those sections that, uh, I mean, they were loud. It, it felt almost like they thought this is going to be a touchdown and, and they're going to find a way to win this game because uh, they were chanting some stuff about Tennessee sucking and all this stuff. And they, they kept chanting and then, and then the fourth and one happened. And uh, there were a lot of, you know, the surrender Cobras and the just that look on their face like Tennessee found a way to win this game once again you know, after so many times over the years, it's happened that way. Uh, and before we move on to hoops, your, your thoughts on Jared Garantano and that sort of whole impossible to understand season that it's been for him with the ups and downs and just sort of how crazy it is that he's out there with one hand and all of a sudden he's better. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. I mean, they, they couldn't do anything the first half. They couldn't find any, you know, rhythm. They couldn't establish anything in terms of drives, very little, if anything. Uh, and they, they bring Garantano in, in for the second half, and it's like instantly receivers are running open. He's seeing them. He's putting the ball where he needs to put it. Uh, I don't know what it is about this kid off the bench and, and kind of why he's been successful the way he has and, and how resurgent he's been going back to South Carolina and, and I guess that late drive against Mississippi State uh, about a month ago. Uh, but, but what he's done, the way he's rewritten his story after the first month, 
I mean, this this football team very much mirrors what Jared Garantano is in terms of uh, erasing what happened in September and coming back and finding a way to win football games just despite what's going on around you, despite, you know, the adversity in front of you, injuries, all that stuff. He, he's kind of, you know, in a nutshell what this football team has become. Yeah, Grant, and I know that, that um, you know, Tennessee was at this point last year, 5-5, five and five, and, and then we all remember that um, it, it did not get, get good from that point. It, it, it got pretty bad from that point. Uh, do you think coming off this open date with the way this schedule is set up now, do you think this team has a chance to finish better? Oh, for sure. I think that that will 100% be the emphasis. I mean, uh, Jeremy Pruitt was talking about it Saturday night in Lexington in the postgame. He mentioned uh, when somebody asked about, I can't remember what the question was, about kind of where they are at this point after the way they started the season. He said, well, we're exactly where we were last year, 5-5 five and five after 10 games, uh, and they remember how that ended. Uh, and, and it's almost like if, if, if you gave Tennessee a do-over, uh, this is a really good opportunity for that do-over because that was certainly a different Missouri team uh, with Drew Lockett quarterback and, and kind of the firepower they had. Uh, it's, it's not going to be easy going on the road there. It never is going to Columbia. It's a, it's a long trip, and it's always cold, and it's always uh, just doesn't seem like a whole lot of fun uh, for Tennessee in that game. And, and you look at Vanderbilt, they were in a, definitely in a different situation uh, this time last year. If that team's not dead on its feet right now, I don't know what it is coming off that 56 nothing loss uh, at Florida. So... Tennessee's got a really good chance to to not only you know all they got to do is win one of them to get to bowl eligibility. They got a they they got a really good chance to win two games, uh, and possibly flirt with something like the Gator Bowl, which uh, when you look back at September, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think their their loss was fifty six nothing to Georgia. I think the fifty six nothing one to Florida is probably coming this Saturday. Uh, so you, you may have just been really ahead of the curve there. Uh, no, or, no, I'm, I'm or sorry, we, 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 you, you're talking yeah, about. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, but either way, good. either way, they're, 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 those two teams are very. Uh, comparable in terms of how kind of miserable they are right now. And the colors that they wear also. So maybe it's something about the, the color scheme. I don't know. Uh, Grant, nominally, you know, you're a guy who, like me, you kind of cover both sports. But right now it's interesting because for both of us, I think, you know, we've kind of got part of our minds that are that are on football and the way this thing's going to finish and all that stuff and, and with you doing recruiting stuff too. But then also it's basketball season and, and, and Tennessee is, is still, you know, one of the most underrated kind of – college basketball programs out there right now and has a lot of things going on uh, you know 600 win coach and you know one of the greatest recruiting classes in program history coming in um, but we've talked about this before this is a really kind of interesting year for Tennessee will it be a transition season or will they just kind of find a way to keep it going and I think we might get a slightly better answer to that this week than we did last week now I know Tennessee's got much bigger games down the road uh, coming quickly down the road here uh, not long after this one there's a really tough one coming up over the weekend uh, but this week starts with a Tuesday night game against uh, against Murray State at Thompson Bowling Arena uh, again a, a comically late 9 p.m. Eastern start so we'll see if you're uh, if you're, you're going to be awake for that game uh, Papaw but but it, it looks to me like everyone knows that John ja Morant is not at Murray State anymore and, and he's the best player who's ever walked through that program he, he's one of the, the best young talents internationally in basketball right now so a program like Murray State losing a guy, guy like him, it's going to leave a mark, okay? This was an NCAA tournament team last season, a team that got to the round of 32 um, before kind of bowing out to Florida State. Um, but, but, but this is still a pretty solid program that returned some really key players from that team uh, last season. And, and I think this is – I don't know if I want to say it's just like an absolutely like tough game for Tennessee, but it's certainly not an easy one. No, and I would venture to say something that Rick Barnes will say leading up to this game is, 
certain programs know how to win basketball games, certain programs that have uh, been successful over the years, obviously Murray State, uh, an unprecedented amount of success with an unprecedented talent uh, in John Morant last season, uh, going to the round of 32 and really wearing out Marquette in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They didn't just sneak by, they they, they belonged uh, where they were. And yeah, there, there are some pieces back uh, for this team. It's, it's obviously, it's going to be a completely different era uh, as much as Tennessee starting over based on, on last season, Murray State's doing the exact same thing. Uh, but it's it's still it's a, it's a game Tennessee should win. Uh, it's it's going to be a test, and it's a test that, that they should pass. I think Ken Palm uh, has the has Murray State at something like one fifteen overall in his ratings, and and UNC Asheville was two sixty six. So uh, it's a step up for sure, but it's it's a step Tennessee Tennessee should be able to take. And uh, for the record, Ken Palm has them at a an eighty nine percent chance to win the game and a 13-point uh, margin of victory. So that kind of sets the table for kind of what to expect. Yeah, and, and for those who kind of wonder what's the Murray State roster look like now, and, and I think you made a really good point that Murray State uh, is traditionally a pretty darn good program. I mean, it's a, you know right there in, in that part of the country that loves basketball. Uh, they got a neat little arena there. Uh, they got a really nice fan base um, that, that's pretty loyal and, and definitely loves them some racers. Uh, in fact, one of my our good buddies who lives here in town uh, works with my wife uh, is a the world's largest Murray State fan. So he is just a you know he's got like the Murray State golf bag and he he's he's big into the racers. So uh, I hear a lot about them and and you see a little bit about them when I used to cover Chattanooga. Um, you know, they weren't in the same conference, but they were both kind of mid-major powers at the time. So, so y- y- you learn some different things. And this is a program I've always had a lot of respect for. But this roster right now uh, is very young, very, very young. Uh, there are two starters and about four key contributors who are back from last season's NCAA tournament team. But to put this in perspective, uh, this program has one, two, three, four, five, six, either six or seven freshmen. And it's only got three seniors, and two of those three seniors are guys who came from the JUCO ranks originally. So, um, you know, they're they're not a very actually three of the four, yeah, came came from the junior college ranks. So there's not a lot of guys who have been in this program for a long time. So uh, that does have, uh, like you see with a lot of mid major teams, it, it doesn't have a lot of size, but it's got some. Uh, it, it starts a couple of big boys down there, down down low. You, you got KJ Williams at six ten, two forty five, uh, and then you got uh, Darnell Coward, who's just a big old big old hoss at six eight, two eighty. Uh, and, and they got some some young freshmen with some size. Um, but this is a team that's going to play a, a lot of guards. Uh, they're going to try to run around a lot. Uh, they've got a coach who's actually just like UNC Asheville's coach is an East Tennessee native. Uh, Matt McMahon is from Oak Ridge, so uh, he, he's a guy who certainly will know this area pretty well. And um, this will be an interesting test for Tennessee. We'll, we'll see if if some guys like Drew Pember are back out there healthy. We'll see from practice later uh, today, or we'll at least talk to Rick Barnes and, and see what he thinks about that this afternoon. Um, but but this is a, a game where certainly I think. Tennessee's going to want to play better than it did against UNC Asheville, particularly, I imagine, in the backcourt. Yeah, got to limit turnovers in the backcourt. Uh, got to get a little bit more consistent, uh, not consistent production, but consistent play from Lamonte Turner and Jordan Bowden. You probably know what you're going to get from them night in and night out points-wise and uh, you know, take high-percentage shots from those two and, and just take care of the basketball. Don't try to make big plays. You'd like to see more from Josiah Jordan-James, obviously, uh, he was slow out of the gate against UNC Asheville uh, last week. I think he only finished with two points, and uh, I can't remember what he maybe one for five from the field, something like that. So he's going to have to score for this team. Uh, obviously, he wants to pass uh, as we've we've covered before. And then you know, going back to the post, uh, I think they're kind of 
happy with where their posts are right now, kind of the progress they're making and, and the direction they're going with guys like Olivier Camois and uh, some of these new guys and, and trying to figure out some answers down there and maybe what they're going to get from John Fulgerson. So if you keep taking steps forward, uh, I think you consider it a success. You just you just want to get into these games, uh, win them, get out of them, and keep everybody healthy and, and keep moving forward because it, it is, uh, like you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, a really interesting week because you step up in competition with Murray State uh, for a late game Tuesday. You have signing day. Wednesday to celebrate what will be a you know a historic class for this kind of program, uh, and then you turn your attention to Saturday and a really good Washington uh, team that that last week went to Anchorage and, and beat a ranked Baylor team so and came back late to beat a, a ranked Baylor team so uh, there's a lot going on for Tennessee basketball this week a, a lot of ground to cover yeah I think we're both really glad we did not have to cover Murray State's first game of the season because I'm looking at the box score of this game and. Oh man, it's Wolftown. Uh, the Murray State was three for sixteen from three in that game, and uh, Southern was three for twenty-two from three in that game. So that's a combined six of thirty-eight from three in that game. Murray State turned it over. Pretty 20. sure that's my pickup basketball stat line. You are a high volume day. shooter. You're a high six volume shooter. You know? I don't see what you're complaining about. I think that's a great stat line. Hey, it leads to a lot of long rebounds. You know, it gives you a lot of opportunities there. That, that, yeah, that's just trying to get others involved. Yeah, that, that that's Bruce Pearl ball. That's a Bruce Pearl assist, is what that is. The the, the long rebound off the three point miss. Um, but right now, uh, also in in that game, I, I see 21 turnovers for Murray State, with 14 for Southern, and uh, just woof woof. Oof, not good, not good. But yeah, as you said, Grant, before we get out of here, we need to mention this too. Um, you know, this is a huge, huge week for Tennessee, not just on the, the court, but off the court, because you, you mentioned earlier that we'll have time later in the week to kind of discuss both of these things. But just before that, kind of give us a, you know, just a kind of a brief snapshot of what signing day is going to be like and then what the weekend's going to be like for Tennessee. And uh, if you thought that, that Lexington was cold, buddy, pack a parka. <laughs> I assume Wednesday. Uh, having the commitments, uh, as long as they've had these commitments, uh, Corey Walker, the, the four-star power forward, uh, he, he committed last March, I believe. So he's been in he's been in the boat for a while. Keon Johnson, the five-star shooting guard, the, the number one in-state player, he committed in August. And obviously they got Jaden Springer, the five-star, the other five-star shooting guard, which is a weird thing to have to clarify yes, uh, when is. you're talking about Tennessee basketball yes, recruiting in, in, in one class. Uh, he committed, uh, I don't know what it's been, two, three weeks ago, something like that. Uh, so you'd, you'd expect with all those guys, you know, in the boat as long as they've been there, that they're going to sign uh, during this November period, which opens Wednesday and runs for a week, November 13th to November 20th. Uh, and there hadn't been a ton of drama with these kids. Uh, they, they got committed and they stayed committed. Uh, and Tennessee's done a really good job with all of them. And uh, just having three, uh, I guess, top 40 players all in one signing class, uh, it's incredible. Uh, there's still work to do. Uh, there's a Euro point guard. Uh, coming in on an official visit, as Evan Daniels reported a couple of weeks ago, he's a he's a six two. Uh, I think he's another lefty. Uh, don't quote me on that. But of course, it's, it's I'm just possible. guessing. He probably is. Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee chances has. Chances are. You know, Rick, Rick Barnes has a lefty fetish. I think. Chances are that the sun rises in the in the east, sets in the west, and uh, Tennessee's recruiting a lefty. Uh, he's really good. He he could end up being a top seventy kind of player, uh, looking to get another ball handler in this class, perhaps maybe another forward another big depending on kind of where the numbers shake out and, and how it plays so uh, we'll see what happens there but yeah uh, Wednesday should be fun for Tennessee basketball fans to uh, get ink to paper on some of these kids and you're looking forward to the uh, trip over the weekend I imagine because I was on the fence about making that one but then I thought you know uh, I, I, I could just stay home for a weekend that's not so bad uh, I, I do love I do love where you're going it's a it's a great great city great country but uh, you looking forward to that 
Uh, I'm looking forward to wearing plaid uh, and uh, maybe a denim jacket and some denim jeans and uh, just making a lot of stereotypical puns, uh, trying a really bad Canadian accent, eating some poutine, uh, maple syrup, Drake jokes, all that stuff. Because, I mean, I'm only there for like 40 hours, so I don't have that much time to feel. Has Kyle Alexander given you the hot spots and has he told you exactly no, no, has, I, he, has he told you exactly which kind of Canadian tuxedo to wear? <laughs> no, no, but I need, I need to get on that. Uh, I've had some suggestions on, on where to go uh, and what to do. Uh, first, I got to survive a nine o'clock tip off on Tuesday night, uh, stay awake for that and then work signing day the next day. So uh, everybody feel sorry for your boy. It's going to be rough. Uh, and then we'll see what happens in Toronto. Yeah, that's uh, I, I did one time see Kyle Alexander wearing like a denim jacket, but then like some like Nike warm up pants. And I was like, bro, that's only half a Canadian tuxedo. <laughs> that, that's a Canadian sport coat with some with some with some uh, like nylon pants there. Uh, you're it's not doing, a three-piece suit. It's a one-and-a-half-piece suit. Yeah, you're, you're doing something wrong there. But, yeah, there, there's plenty to discuss. We'll have tons more Tennessee basketball to discuss throughout the week and, and really throughout the month and throughout the next few months because, uh, you know, it's it's still football time, but it's also now basketball time in Tennessee. So, Grant, I appreciate it, man. If you uh, – I guess I'll let you go ahead and uh, get out of here and uh, get, some of your, get, get some of your sleep caught up. Yes, please. Get, thank you. Get your little power nap. Please and thanks. Thanks for tuning in this Monday morning. As always, guys, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, we always do. We, we joke and, and, and say, oh, yeah, you're, you're still joining us. But, no, we, we really, really, really do appreciate it. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. Make sure to get the, uh, the, the goofy-looking sports writer, not the hockey player. Those are two very different Ryan Callahan. You can also find all of us if you want none of our personal stuff and just all vols all the time. You can get that at twitter.com slash govols247 or you can go to facebook.com slash govols247 where uh, Ramey does a, a really, really excellent job. Uh, really, really excellent job covering uh, everything on our Facebook page. Does a really, really good job with that. Also want to mention that you can always go directly to the source, drink right from the hose. You can go to govols247.com. Well, right now we've got a re- couple of really, really good deals, guys. You can you can get a, a couple months for basically nothing. Basically nothing. Go to GoVols247.com and check it out. And if you're a GoVols247 member, in perpetuity, and as long as you are a 24-7 sports, GoVols247 sports subscriber, you get free access to CBS All Access, the Rolls-Royce package that's commercial-free, uh, unless you're watching live sports, which are also on there, but you get all CBS's shows. You get uh, a collection of movies. Uh, you get some some neat podcast stuff that's exclusive to that. You you get uh, live SEC football, live college football. In, in case you just didn't miss this, just in case you missed this a couple of days ago, uh, now uh, in about a year or so, the the UEFA Champions League is going to be on there also. So that is that is a very very big deal. So you can get all that for free. That's a one hundred dollar annual value that you get for free just for being a 24-7 supports subscriber. I I almost said 24-7 supports there. But 24-7 support is our email address in case you ever uh, have any technical problems, which you probably won't because our site is great and it's better than everyone else's. So uh, go do that. Go to govals247.com, be a subscriber, and uh, don't, don't miss out. Don't miss out. You know, we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to help you be the best you you can be. And if you don't go to our site, I hate to put it this way, it, it says more about you than us. It really does. In all seriousness, guys, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you. Unless there's breaking news, well, we'll see you on Thursday morning. <laughs>